Yo, what's up, Danny? What's up, Tyler? Oh, not too much. Just uh, sitting at my place. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, so welcome everybody to the first distance episode of Fried Squirms. Our first social distancing. <laughs> right? If you guys have been following along week to week, we missed a week because I started to get sick. Then I started to get better. And then this past weekend, everything fucking rose back up and smacked me in the fucking face. So I just got done getting tested for COVID like two hours ago. Hopefully I'll get those results back soon. I'm not feeling like bad today. It's been the past two days sucked, but, you know, better safe than sorry in these times. No, I totally agree with you there. So if this episode ends up sounding a little bit different than normal, it's because we can't actually see each other while we're trying to talk about this fucking movie. <laughs> but you know what? Honestly, if this ends up being my COVID-19 catching it experience, way better COVID-19 than ID7. <laughs> That's for sure. But let's, uh, let's see. We're going to talk about some mayhem today. Let's start off with our green hits, I suppose. Yeah, so today I am bringing to my end, I brought over, well, I say brought over, I got some orange aid from a local dispensary here in town, which I've frequented a few times. So uh, this particular strain, orange aid, it is a cross between tangy and purple punch. It's a sativa dominant strain and it features like lime green flowers with bright orange hairs and uh just a moderate layer of frosting. And the thing I like about it too, is you get that nice kind of tangerine taste, little grape taste and a little bit of sweetness. So all around is a pretty nice experience. Hell yeah, dude. So I pick like the wrong time to have to like be medically stuck in my house. Cause I'm just about to run out of flour. Oh, dang. Uh, so when we take our tiny little break in between, instead, I'm going to get all dabbed up for this episode. Cause I still have some of that left Hell yeah! that I don't mind hitting. Like I still got some, I'm not completely out. I still got some flour for later, but I don't know how long I'll have to stretch it right now. But if I remember right through the bag, it came in away already, but I'm pretty sure that this gram of shatter was blue dream shatter. Pretty sure. Right. I know we've talked about Blue Dream on here before, so, and I mean, honestly, at this point, that's kind of one of the, like, standbys. I feel like everybody smokes some Blue Dream now and then, but we'll see how that goes. And uh, let's get in our green hits. Guts and bolts. God, this is really weird without being in the room. <laughs> All right, so start us off with the guts and bolts. Start off with the spoiler-free setup for Mayhem. Office space meets 28 days later. <laughs> That's spoiler free setup, right? <laughs> That's pretty close to what you're going to get with this. Yeah. I think it's a good brief little setup about what this film entails. Let's see. Okay. So, a bit more specific to the movie, I guess the spoiler free setup is Steven Yun's character, Derek Cho, is unjustly fired from his job right at the same time that a virus outbreak happens at his work that is kind of a toned down version of the rage virus. We'll get into the specifics later, but basically he has free will to try to take it back and runs into Samara weaving. And that's the spoiler free setup. Yeah. That's essentially what this is. <laughs> this is a good setup. 
Yeah, so of course uh, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the people acting in the film as well. So uh, this week I'm going to lead off with our director, a gentleman named Joe Lynch. He is an American film director. He's also done some music videos, which is really cool. He's a film producer, cinematographer, and he happens to be an actor as well. And when you look at some of his films, he's actually got some really interesting things to date. So I'm looking at his catalog here. He kind of made, I guess, his debut in the genre with Wrong Turn 2, Dead End. Okay. And then he went, yeah, he went on to direct the segment Zombie Movie in the film Chillerama from 2011. <laughs> he's also the director of Knights of Bad Aspen, which I've actually seen. It's not a bad film, and it's actually pretty entertaining. Once I he realized also, that he's the one that directed that, this movie also made a lot more sense. Oh, no doubt about it. And when you start seeing some of the people that are involved with this film, it starts to really make sense. All right, so he's also known for directing Faith No More's video, Sunny Side Up. He's also responsible for the 2019 version of Point Blank. All right. We have writer, yeah, Matias Caruso. The only other credit of note that I have him for is for a film called Bruja. And for those who don't know, it translates to which. Mm-hmm. All right. We have cinematographer Steve Gaynor, and he's got some pretty cool stuff to his credit as well. So when you look through some of his filmography, some of his credits include Schooled, the TV series. He's also responsible for The Last Laugh, a 2019 film, uh, American Girl, Sweet Vicious, Everly, Awkward. Uh, stuff like Punisher, Warzone, uh, Mysterious Skin, which is that film I highly recommend. Uh, also, I fucking love Punisher Warzone. And so does Patton Oswalt. going to point that out. <laughs> hey, that's always a good uh, thumbs of approval there. Uh, he's also the cinematographer on the film Bully. Really good film. Uh, super dark. The film Movie 43 and A Haunted House. All right. And moving forward, we have our editor is Josh Ethier. Uh, another gentleman's got some really cool credits to his name. So when you look throughout his catalog, we'll go back a little bit and we'll start with the television series Holliston from 2012 through 2013. He helped edit four of those episodes. He's also responsible for editing We Are Still Here, the segment The Week and the Wicked from Tales of Halloween, the film Beyond the Gates, which I watched not too long ago. It's decent. It's uh, definitely like a a low, maybe C-grade horror film. Okay. Now, he's also responsible for the segments Her Only Living Son and the Birthday Party from the film XX. If you've ever seen the film Leatherface from 2017, he helped edit that. He also edited the film Bliss and more recently the films VFW and Gretel and Hansel. Uh, right? VFW the, looks pretty good. I bought a copy of it, I don't know, about a month or so ago, roughly, maybe a little bit the back than that but i haven't watched it yet i know we talked about it a few times when we were doing our news segment back then and uh yeah i'll have to give it a go but i have heard some pretty positive things about it i think friend of the show donnie watched it and liked it i nice, i dude. hope i'm not well, putting words usually, in his mouth i'm pretty sure he told me he liked it so well i was gonna say you know usually you, if donnie gives his thumbs up then you know it's it's usually a pretty good recommendation so yeah i look forward to watching it sometime here in the future all right, we've got a really cool guy who helped compose the music, and this gentleman is Steve Moore. So Steve Moore, he is a musician, multi-talented, and, of course, multi-instrumental. He's also a producer and, of course, a film composer. But he's probably best known 
for his synth work and bass guitar work with the band Zombie, right? He's worked with uh, some really cool bands, bands like Maserati, uh, Red Sparrows, Lear of the Monitor, Voivod, and the Melvins. And he's helped write scores for like films like Gutterballs, which actually Unearthed Films just picked up in their catalog. Oh, <laughs> Speaking shit. of which, yeah, and uh, Star Vehicle. And sometimes he goes underneath the alias Gianni Rossi. I would imagine because he's a big fan of uh, <laughs> Goblin and things like that. But if you look at his film catalog, I didn't mention the film Gutterballs, but he was also uh, responsible for composing the music in the segment Phase One Clinical Trials in the film VHS Part Two. If you've ever seen the film Don't Knock Twice, if you've ever seen such things as Camera Obscura and uh, film we just mentioned, VFW. So he's also responsible for that as well. Hell yeah. All right. So moving into our producers, handful of people on there. I'll kind of read through it real quick, but we have Parisa Caviani, Mardad Eli, Buddy Enright, Lawrence Mattis, Matt Smith, Sean Sorensen, and Angelisia. I'm going to mess this name up so bad. Uh, Vlasov Levich. All right. <laughs> our production companies on this were Circle of Confusion and Royal Viking Entertainment. We also have distributors RLJ Entertainment for the 2017 United States uh, All Media. Release dates on this was March 13, 2017. This was in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Film Festival. And then November 10th, 2017, it got its stateside release. It had an estimated budget of about $2.5 million here in the States. And I do have a tagline for this film, believe it or not. All right, give it, it to is, me. Right, it's hostile work environment yeah i dig it that's a good one i dig it nice yeah so, so not too bad uh moving into our cast we got a really cool i won't say star-studded but the leads in this are starting to really make some names uh, for themselves in television and in film so with that i'm going to lead off with uh steven yoon who you've already mentioned plays Derek cho and steven for those who don't know i probably hit the biggest claim to fame that he has is for playing Glenn Ree in 66 episodes of The Walking Dead from 2010 through 2016. I don't think I ever got to see him in any of those episodes, though, because I never made it that far into the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. He's also voiced Avatar 1 in The Legend of Korra. If you've ever seen Voltron Legendary Defender, he voiced Keith. For 64 episodes. I was about to say, the, I fucking love Legendary Defender. So, And Keith's a badass, so that was awesome. Nice, dude. Uh, he's also responsible for voicing the character Steve Palchik in the Trollhunters Tales of Arcadia television series. I believe that one's on Netflix, too. Uh, if you've ever seen Stretch Armstrong and the Flux Fighters, he voices Nathan Park and Wingspan for 24 episodes of that. Final Space is Little Cato for 22 episodes. Uh, he was in the episode A Traveler in the Twilight Zone from last year, which I thought was pretty oh, dope. Shit. Man. That's cool. Yeah. I still need to check those out. And some of his film credits include such things as I Origins. He was in Jaw. He was also in the films The Star, Sorry to Bother You, Burning, and more recently in the films The Humans and Minari. All right. Moving along, an actress you've mentioned in Setup 
is Samara Weaving. She plays the role of Melanie Cross. And she's got some pretty interesting credits to her name as well. Actually, one film I've seen prior to this film was uh, The Babysitter from 2017. Pretty entertaining film. She does a really good job in that. If you've ever seen the films Monster Trucks, she was in that. She was also in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. She was in the film Ready or Not, which, man, I still need to check out. I've heard some good things about that. I know. I keep hearing it's going to be like right up my alley, and I still haven't checked it out either. Nice. Well, that might give us an excuse. (laughs) Uh, She was also in the films Guns Akimbo, 100% Wolf, where she voiced the role of Batty. She has one coming up that I'm super excited for. Yeah, dude. Actually, three films. Uh, One is Last Moment of Clarity. The ones that are upcoming are the Bill and Ted Face the Music, where she plays Bea Preston, which is Bill's daughter. Yeah, and she's also going to be in Snake Eyes, which is like the G.I. Joe origin story as Shanna O'Hara, better known as Scarlet. Oh, shit. She's going to be Scarlet? Yeah, that's what it looks like. That's in post-production, tentatively scheduled for next year's release. Fuck yeah. And for fans of genre, you might recognize her because she had a recurring role. I think three episodes is Heather in Ash versus Evil Dead. Okay, so here's the other place because of her role as Heather that people might recognize her. This is a weird one. So if you happen to have any super conservative relatives or friends on Facebook that have shared around a meme of a young woman who supposedly got beat up for being a Trump supporter... It's Samara Weaving in her makeup for Ash vs. Evil Dead. Mm. That's funny, dude. I have seen that go... Being still connected to a very small town in Montana, I have seen that meme go around multiple times. And I'm like, no, that's Ash vs... God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I have you people, no culture. (laughs) That's funny, man. Well, you never know. I mean, can't always trust memes. <laughs> Don't get your news from memes. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? Check your sources. All right, uh, moving forward, some really cool actors. We have Stephen Brand. He plays the role of John, the boss, Towers. And when you look at John's filmography, he's been in such films as The Scorpion King, as Memnon. If you've ever seen Treasure Raiders or films like Hellraiser Revelations, he was in Saving Lincoln, uh, the film Echoes, and 2017's film Demons. He's been in a lot of television series, I guess more notably things like Doctors from 2000 and 2001. Well, there's there's also, one thing that we watched through all of. Today. Oh, dude, yeah, 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 yeah. He voiced Alexander Anderson <laughs> in Helsing Ultimate. And I would imagine it's got to be the dub version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, and he was also the voice for Anderson in the original Helsing that they did before they actually adapted the manga. You know what I mean? Dude, that is so awesome, man. Dude, Anderson yeah, is just such knowing a badass. That. Yes, he is, man. And I'm glad that I finally got to finish it through, man. It was totally worth watching. Highly recommend that one, too. Great fucking show, man. Great. Just looking through some of his other television credits, if you've ever watched such things as Castle. He was also in uh, an episode of 90210. Yeah, just kind of like a lot of procedurals as well. I mean, he was in Teen Wolf. Uh, I guess he was Dr. Gabriel Valak for a couple of different seasons, which is really neat. And uh, more recently, Alex Ryder, the television series. Hmm, nice. All right. Moving forward, we have 
Caroline Chikese. She plays the role of Kara the Siren Powell in this film. And for people who do know her, you probably know her because she's best known for playing Sasha Williams in As If. She was also Elaine Hardy in Footballers Wives and the Cyberwoman in the television show Torchwood. Uh, some of her films include such things as The Mistress of Spices. She was in Aragon. I know we've talked about that a while back because uh, oh, the Steelers, he was in a film that we reviewed. I, uh, yeah, can't place it right I can't fucking remember either. But well, but plus, like, uh, uh, plus uh, the kid that wrote it is from from this neck of the woods anyway. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was also Freya in the film Aeon Flux from 2005. She was also in an episode of Supernatural back in 2007. She played Tamara in the episode of Magnificent Seven. I'm fucking um, positive I've seen that episode, and I just can't think of what it is. Otherwise, I might be able to actually remember her. But Man, Yeah, I still need to get back into that. Uh, I enjoyed the few episodes I did watch. I, and more recently, she was in the Shannara Chronicles as Queen Tamlin for the episodes Wraith, Greymark, and Dweller from 2017. All right, we have Carrie Fox. She plays the role of Irene Smith. She's like one of the nine in the film. Oh, okay. She yeah, is yeah. A, yeah, she's a New Zealand actress. Uh, she became, or she came to prominence playing author Janet Frame in the movie An Angel at My Table. Uh, she also won a Best Actress Award from the New Zealand Film and Television Awards for that role. So that was really interesting. Let's see here. She played the leading role in a film called Shallow Grave, which was a Danny Boyle breakout British hit. Uh, she was also nominated for the Canadian Genie Award for her supporting role in The Hanging Garden. Some other things include the film Intimacy, she was in Speaking in Tongues from 2011, and just a bunch of shows from New Zealand, which is pretty neat. All right, we have Dallas Roberts, who plays the role of Lester the Reaper McGill. He's a really interesting character actor in some really cool films when you look through his filmography. Things like The Notorious Betty Page, who's in the film Flicka, the television series The L Word from 2006 to 2009. He was in 310 to Yuma, which... Uh, Pretty decent remake, man. I don't know if yeah. you ever get to watch that or not. Yeah, no, I was, I combed through his filmography pretty deep just because I could have swore I knew him even more than I did. And like, I've seen like three or four of the things he's in, but not to the extent where I feel like I should know his face as well as I do, but whatever. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable, man. Uh, I think things probably more recently people recognize him in. He was in season three of The Walking Dead from 2012 through 2013. He's also in the films Dallas Buyers Club. You might have seen him in My Friend Dahmer. He was also in Heartstrings and Motherless Brooklyn. All right, we have actor Mark Frost, who plays the role of Ewan Niles. And uh, he's known because he was a series regular as Steve Rawlings in Doctors. He was also Jeffrey Simpson in The Bill. He played Tom Karn in Poldark and currently as Ray Crosby in Coronation Street. Down a little bit in film, but um, not a whole lot. Blue Juice is the other film of note. Uh, a lot of stage work. He played Scrooge in A Christmas Carol and The Joker in Batman Live, which is a part of the National Indoor Arena and Manchester Arena venues. Oh, okay. Uh, pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Right. Uh, I've got three other people to note, and then that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. I have uh, Nicola Kent. He plays the role of Oswald. He's kind of like the douchey guy at the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Some people might know him as Davros Minasian because he was in Ray Donovan, uh, the television series back in 2015. He was in the film Papillon, which is a remake of the 1970s film, but he played Deputy Warden uh, Reload in the film Extinction from 2018. All right, we have actor Andre Erickson. He plays the role of the bull in this film. Some people might recognize him because he was in the television series Vikings as the black cloak figure from 2016 through 17. He was also in the television series Norseman from 2017 through 2020 and Lethal Weapon from 2018. Nice. Right. And last but not least, I have actress Claire Delamar. She plays the secretary Meg to uh, the siren in this film. The other credits of know that she was in, she was in uh, the short Dick Pick, <laughs> no puns. She was also in Solely and the television series The Upside of Down from 2013. So uh, yeah, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a setup. We definitely should give some warnings for this film. All right. So warnings for Mayhem. They cuss a lot. Mm-hmm. There is okay. some nudity. There uh, is. Although it's mostly... Other than one scene towards the beginning, it's mostly like way in the background. It's a rather violent movie, but it's not very gory. There's, I, agree with that. I think there's only maybe two, maybe three things that I would count as actual gore, but there's a good bit of blood and and like people are getting in fights. It's an action horror. Yeah, so. it's action paced. Yeah, exactly. Am I missing anything? Just kind of thinking about it. I mean, there's some water sports. <laughs> yeah i guess technically there is so there's that there's a little bit of piss i think i'm trying to think i think that covers no, I mean, it right yeah for the most part i mean it's pretty straightforward like you said it's an action horror so you kind of know what you're going to get yourself into with that yeah yeah i was gonna say any other time we've covered action horror the trend is for it to be a little bit more action than actual horror and you're kind of getting that with this one too so I guess maybe we should just stop fucking pussyfooting around it and get into how this made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, dude. So let's get it out of the way. There's no way that we can't compare this to Belko. Yeah, it's it's different for sure. They're not the same film. I can understand why people would want to compare them, but you know they are different. And I want to compare them, and I want to say that this is way better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To me, it's a lot more entertaining. It's not saying a, I mean, a whole hell of a lot, considering how we feel about Belko. But yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot. I really did. I enjoyed this film. I did too. I did too. So, peek behind the curtain, we decided this film based on a dice roll. And that's part of why I brought up Belko right off the bat, because we had watched the trailer for this back right before it debuted on shutter and both thought, I think we both came away thinking it looked fun. The trailer that Mm -hmm. is, we had just watched Belko not, I mean, at this point it's been like a hundred and some episodes, I think. Right. But we would have watched the trailer maybe when there was only 20 or 30 episodes past, like it was still a lot fresher in our minds. And I think we were both a little bit gun shy. I say that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Cause I do remember, when this film was first coming out and you're right because it came out what, three years ago. So that makes sense. Uh, somewhere around our earlier episodes, but fuck no, I'm really glad we watched it this time around. I guess let's get into this. So I already sort of set it up earlier. 
Derek Cho works for the company. Right from the get-go, I thought that, like, stylistically, this movie was fucking on point. Because even the opening scene, you have, like, the black and white with the red eyes, which that's been kind of overdone in the era post-Sin City, but it had been a while, so, you know, they get kind of props for pointing it out that way. And you got his awesome fucking narration overlay, and just what I felt like was just, like, a really good overview of the character, because... He fucking, even just his voice, you can tell he voice acts a lot because he was able to put a lot of, like, you could tell what his intentions were with what he was saying. Like, he didn't approve of what he did because you don't know that he was the one that found the loophole quite yet. But he's like, this is just what happened and it's kind of shitty, but here you go. And that sort of plays into how he eventually, even though he starts off the movie as an asshole, how he sort of gets better because he never really approved and he makes that clear from the get go. Exactly. It's just, it's helping set up his character arc. You know, like you were saying, it's, he starts off because he's kind of grinding through the corporate ladder. He has to do douchey things, you know, but that's just the way it is. Right. And that uh, elevator montage was pretty dope. I really liked that. I liked that a lot too. I thought it was really clever, right? The opening, it did feel a little comic bookish, like you were saying with stuff like Sin City, things of that note. I, I really like it. I, yeah, it's a, it's a little, you know, it's been done <laughs> several times over, but that was good. It was clever. Yeah, I like the whole that, lead into the game. Yeah, sorry. I like that the fucking virus also wasn't just like the straight up rage virus. It's not causing people to go crazy. They're just a lot more likely, almost 100% more likely to just sort of give in to what they sort of feel in the moment, which... I mean, it's just like heightened emotions rather than, oh, fuck, I'm going fucking crazy all the time. I mean, people end up going fucking crazy, but that's because they're interacting yeah, that, with that's other people. Probably, yeah. Right. That's what they're feeling in the moment. Yeah, compared to the rage. You notice kind of throughout the movie that whenever people are kind of able to be isolated in these situations, like they're not just like sitting there and like being just dis- maybe they're being destructive, but they're not doing what they do once they start interacting with each other. You know what I mean? I guess you're right. You're right. I'm trying to figure out how to explain it best, but it's like they don't have anything else acting against them. So their emotions aren't able to swing as wildly to cause them to do stupid shit in the moment. They might still do kind of destructive shit, but it's not as stupid as it would be if somebody else was also provoking them. Exactly. I I think that's the the important thing to note is, I feel like it's more uh, in the moment, right? Like you were saying, is is how your environment is kind of impacting how you react in those situations. And yeah, it, it doesn't help when there's a lot of people around and you have those feelings, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it, it makes for an interesting story, you know? And it, it, I think throughout, it makes sense. Some people might not like that narrative, but it's simple enough. And I also, I don't know, there, there was a lot of things that were really just kind of, they did write in endearing me to him from the get-go. Like, he's kind of a self-admitted dick in the beginning. But it works out because everyone else is kind of a bigger asshole. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we get to see that play out throughout, you know, throughout this film. God, so he gets in the elevator. You get the montage where he becomes a big corporate man. Him getting the asshole to stand down off the secretary was pretty funny. Yeah, that's really good where he has the video and he's like, you know, you might want to let off this girl. Otherwise, your wife will get like half of whatever. So, 
Yeah, he puts him in his place. And he's like, and I'm going to get half of the half she's getting. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So uh, he still fucking well steals the pen that. from her, though. There's little sly things they do throughout this film too that makes it, I think, like you said, a little bit endearing. You know. Well, and the mug is almost just straight up the fucking red swing line stapler, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I started fucking laughing about that shit. I'm like, oh no, somebody took his fucking mug. Oh no. <laughs> That's his stapler, man. <laughs> Steven Root have to come up here and cut a bitch? <laughs> For real, right? That's pretty funny. But yeah, it does set up that, you know, where's my shit, man? This is where, too, like, you know, once we get him on his floor and, and how we found the loophole, and the loophole, I think we should note, too, was where in the opening sequence in the film, the guy who's like stabbing the dude in the neck, his name's Neville Reed. He was the first redder is what they call people who get the red eye, the virus, whatever. The first guy to be acquitted of murder, right? They found the loophole. Yeah. And you're right. That's how he got his promotion. This is where we get the introduction to Samuel Weaving's character, Melanie Cross, because she's needing an extension for the foreclosure on her home. So she's like falsely representing her, the estate, you know, right. And uh, he, he kind of checks her, puts in her place. She says an interesting thing. I mean, there's certain lines that get said several times throughout the film. You know, it sets up certain things down the road. But one of them is the uh, the no one raindrop thinks it caused the flood is what she tells him. You know, because he's making all these excuses like, you know, no, it's it's the bank. No, it's this. It's that. It's this person. It's that person, et cetera. So she's all frustrated and whatnot. She wants to see the person who's at the top. It happens to be that Irene Smith. You know, one of the uh, the initials in the TSC, right. the Powers, Powers Smythe Corporation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was consultation. Oh, that okay. It could be corporate. Either way, it's it's a big corporation. Oh yeah, Towers and Smythe Consulting. Yeah, and he's like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't want to make that phone call. So what he does instead, it looks like he calls security on her, and she gets ushered out, and. I think this is too where he was looking for his mug. The girl that he helped earlier, she's like saying something about or something to the effect that sounds I like you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, it does. It sounds like they're they're talking about a fuck up that you had with Vandercorp and he's like, What are you talking about? And he finds out, you know, through the grapevine that the siren, as they call her, she's a director of operations, is framing him, right? She's like cooked some of the worksheets or whatever, some of the figures. You know, it's just some backstabbing mm-hmm. along the corporate ladder, right? And so uh, they kind of start having it out for each other and they go up to see the boss man, right? Uh, John Towers. And I wrote down for me, the first time I watched it, they might have given me the biggest chuckle in the entire film. (laughs) I said, for me, this might be the funniest scene in the movie is when. Are you going to say he draws the boobs? Oh, dude, it's so good. I like this setup, right? (laughs) Even you. He's talking about, you know, he's like, oh, great. Because he, he hears that he's he's upstairs or the guy's in his office drawing. And you're like, you know, it's not going to be good when he's drawing. And, you know, you get the, the back shot of him and you can see he's like doing something. Right. And when you see it's just like stick figures, <laughs> already that's kind of funny. Right? right. But the whole thing is, is he's like, you know, what do you see? And she's telling him, you know, a short fuse. There's no use running. Somebody has to sacrifice themselves. So that's what she doodles on the notepad 
<laughs> and you're right. And uh, when Derek Toe, he like, uh, you know, there's seems to be like a common theme happening. Like the same soldier happens to be in this mess all the time with other people in the trenches. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, why don't we just try to root out the problem soldier instead of everybody in the trenches? Right. And so he's like, may I, and then he drops the boobs. <laughs> the diving dick figure. Dude, I was like, oh, I had to put that movie on pause. Like, this is fucking funny, man. I wasn't expecting that, but I got a, a big grin out of me. Yeah, I was fucking. Good job for, oh my god, that was for funny. adding more boobs in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I really like that man. Is it right when he's leaving from that that they do the cool little infection montage that was also kind of way too timely for today's world? I believe so. I mean, somewhere in the mix, he goes down to, to visit his friend, you and Niles. Like, uh, it seems like he's a real chill dude. Like the, um, who is it? Uh, Kevin Nealon and Grandma's Boy. Like that kind of dude in the office. Right. You know, super chill, relaxed. And, you know, as he's telling his story to him, he's like, oh, shit, you've already done all these mess ups along the way. Let's see what we can do with damage control. And she comes in. That's Kara Powell, the siren. And she's basically telling Derek that he's fired, right? And to get his shit and he's got to go. <laughs> and then that's when we get the introduction to maybe my favorite character in the film. Oh, the Reaper. The Reaper. The Reaper is pretty fucking great, right? He is awesome, dude, right? And just like, um, I like how they introduce the characters in the film, too. It has, I've seen some people compare it to like a little bit of a video game element, you know, like these bosses and stages you have to go through to get up to the tower, you know, the oh, upper yeah. layer of the tower. Well, so here's the, the the having to go up the tower thing is, is something that I hadn't pointed out yet. Like, I already compared this movie to fucking 28 Days Later and Office Space. There's one thing yeah. that I left out. This movie's also kind of diehard. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Down to, I mean, we're in the spoiler section, but spoilers, fucking towers falling to his death at the end. <laughs> yeah. While fucking Derek Cho is wearing a bloodstained white shirt. Not the same kind of shirt, but in the thanks in the credits, one of the thanks is to John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard. That's awesome. That's, that's very true. Where were we? Sorry, I, I just it was a good spot for me to be like, by the way, Die Hard. <laughs> that's right. Uh, like, so we're just uh, talking about the Reaper and how he sent in to lay off or fire. Oh, yeah. Um, Derek Cho. And so he's telling him, he's showing him like his severance package and this is the reason, but he's like, I'll accept this. I'm going to be barred, you know, from practicing law and whatnot. And he said, just sign it and you'll be rich, you know? So it looks like a, a, an offer that's too good to be true. He says he refuses and he wants to talk to the nine and the towers, right? To appeal his case. And that's when they have that little montage of the SWAT team coming in with the CDC and they're putting the building under quarantine and it's because they had a sniffer that detected the virus inside the building. Right. And, uh, I think as Derek is starting to, you know, go into the, uh, the lobby of the firm. I thought that was kind of funny. That you know, Towers, that guy, well, yeah. that Towers was pissed off that there was a sniffer in the building. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I, I think the joke in this, because he's like, he's a big cokehead too. You know, it's like a little bit of a play on that. It's a sniff, a sniffer. A <laughs> uh, little bit of a tangent, man, is uh, this is like some of the nerdy shit, I guess. Um, 
but a sniffer, right? For those who don't know, I've actually used to do a lot of electrical work. And when I wasn't in New York, one of the huge post office buildings there is we were putting in sniffers or what they call hoods and it detects, you know, chemical substances, whether it's in mail or in the air or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it can, um, I guess just break it down by, by the particle, which is really interesting, you know? Yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with what they were talking about when they, they're mentioning that. It's like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> that's what you use sniffers for. Yeah. And there was people just about to leave. They all get shut in. Derek's right at the bottom. Security is there. He uh, homeboy gets pissed. He gets pissed. Dude, I love the action in this movie. There's a lot of cuts, and so it's not very connected action, but it's stylized to the point where like, it really brings you in more to the feeling of what they're feeling with the crazy, super overdone emotions because of the ID7. Well, I think it's point, and they do. They do a good job of, of like, yeah, making you feel those moments of, you know, exchanges and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think they did a good job there. But he punches out those guys. That was dope. He oh, would yeah, try to he's tell him. He's like, nah, dude, this is a blessing. I'm stuck here. Get out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is funny how he's like, he, he tells him, he's like, nah, man. I, it, you think I'm I like out, Kale? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And everything seems like it's going okay until, um, yeah, Derek breaks off. And our boy Niles is like, fuck, you know, whatnot. This is where we get the introduction of the bull, which is the boss's unofficial left hook. So Derek is trying to go back up, you know, into the elevator and go to the top of the tower, huh, ironically enough. And instead he goes down to the basement or a bottom floor and he gets his ass kicked and then he gets pepper sprayed. Right. right. And um, he gets knocked out. And when he wakes up, he wakes up in the same room with Melanie Cross, which is Sam Weaving's character. Right. Well, uh, um, Ewan also ends up yeah, actually a bit before that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. A little bit before that, he does. Yeah, because he comes out of the elevator and he's trying to help, but of course he uh, he gets like flung into a board that happened to have a nail out of it. <laughs> like, yeah, that ain't ending well, man. Do you remember what he says? The last thing he says before he dies? Oh fuck, no. It's <laughs> like <laughs> it's silly, but he's like, uh, I smell toast. <laughs> yeah then he kills over you know and it's an emotional moment yeah and then that's, that's when Derek gets KO'd but yeah also he wakes uh, up in that room. the bull not the worst guy he almost he feels bad for what just happened there for a second he's just yeah no he's like yeah you know he, I killed him he's like no 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 you have impunity you know it's the virus this is the loophole yeah just get rid of the body you know essentially like get rid of the body whatever you know put him meaning Cho in, in the other room with the the other disorderly. And that's like that where we find out Melanie, because of the quarantine, she was being ushered out, but then they put her, you know, in this room. It's like, what are you doing in here? You know, it, it's the, the basic, you know, common person versus the suits, you know? Yeah. So you have a little bit of the, the social commentary on that. And uh, they start spitting at each other, which is like, <laughs> you okay. And then, uh, they, they mess each other up it, a little you know? bit, but you get all the they they each go through like oh here's this is what's going on and whatever. Fucking. Yeah, exactly. So they they kind of come to an agreement like you know let's help each other get even like you know settle the score. And um, Barrick seems to be like a little bit of a tech head because he's like you know I'm just looking for some parts and he happens to 
passed together a phone call to somebody from Vandacorp and he's exposing Dude, that fucking phone call, right? That was good. <laughs> I was like, this film, uh, I like it, man. Like the way it's setting these things up, you know, it's, it's giving you a little bit of texture and a little bit of context and it helps make the movie flow, you know? Well, and they have, uh, and they're not as held back. So they get to go just fucking almost kind of ridiculous with some of the, the dialogue, but it all makes sense in the context. Yeah. And it's like, there's no I other like time it. where you could explain the situation the way he did and still be taken seriously, except for they all like know that like they can see the red eye. Cause it was part of a video call, wasn't it? Or at least between the two CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. Like he knows what the fuck's going on. Like people know what the fuck ID seven is. So like, there's no other time where he could be so explicit and be taken seriously the way he was. I think that's a very solid point too. Yeah. Because if, the virus hadn't happened to be going on and the quarantine and all that stuff. Uh, he wouldn't have been taken seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, what they say? Like they rolled it in shit and like and feed on it or whatever him. he said. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> He's like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, but we find what they're doing right, is I guess charging their clients and just basically scamming them out of a lot of money in, in terms of like lawsuits and whatnot. And they're like, oh, well, we have your latest contract with us. And he basically rips it off and hangs up. And this is where we find out, like, all right, they're going to put a bounty on Cho eventually, right? Like, we've got about six hours plus of this quarantine before, you know, it, it, it ends. And let's see, how, how does it happen? I think some goons go in, like, after they're, like, putting the hit out on them, right? Like, we need to end these people. That's being Cho and Melanie, Sam and Steven. And those goons come in. They want to get in the goon. She does like the whole pizza thing. You guys need anything or want anything. They beat them up. They get the keys. They open up that little shed and uh, they get their tools, which is, I feel like, a little bit of an, uh, a nod to Evil Dead. And I was about to like say, that. it felt Evil Deady, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool. I think maybe too, because it makes sense. We've already talked about the fact that. Samara Weaving, she was in Asher's Evil Dead, so it only makes sense, right? And she happens to choose a handsaw. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, so it's, it's cool, man. Anyhow, they plan, you know, how they're going to get their way to the top, you know, to, like I said, even the score. So the way I broke this down moving forward, like video game, like, all right, this is the first boss they have to deal with. And it happens to be the Reaper, right? Uh, he's on a certain floor. They know they can get his, if everything works well, his access card to get him access to another floor. And so when they interact with him, I like how everything's kind of set up. You see him in his office. He's going through these bouts of like, I don't mania, like mm -hmm. this very schizophrenic thing, you know, where he's, he's trimming his bonsai and then he's also like raging and eating it. <laughs> you know, he's going through those phases. And for how and, much um, he was raging and eating it, it still ended up looking pretty good. Yeah, he happened to maintain it pretty decent. <laughs> I mean, not going to lie. I was yeah. trying to pay attention to that. I'm like, how bad is he fucking that up? And by the time he stops fucking with the bonsai, it's still not looking bad. Yeah, yeah. They, when I say they, Cho and Melanie, they get the upper hand in the office, right, on him. And what I like about this is how he kind of gets set up Cho, right? The Reaper puts his card, his access card on the table Stabs him in the fucking hand with that blade or that scissors, I guess it was. Wait, yeah. Something like that. So first off, 
when they first see him fucking the reaper fucking yeah. getting the nail out of the air was one of the most badass things in the movie that is really cool she calls him like nubs or something she says something to the effect of that right where she's shooting that nail gun at him you're like holy shit he's really quick and even when they first bust into his office she shoots the nail gun and he moves his hand out of the way and then just yeah. like, keeps doing like like whatever he's like i mean he, he, he's always dodging <laughs> these moments where he could, he should be getting fucked up <laughs> it doesn't work but I, I think that's what adds to like the cleverness to his character and all that good stuff but but then um, when he gets Derek, they show the shot uh, above his hand and they show the shot below the table and there's mm-hmm. no way that those fucking scissors are that far through the, into the table oh no no no, no. They're, I, you know they're just adding to the quote unquote brutality of it he has like a little bit of um I wouldn't say a monologue, but he, he he proposes this dilemma, right, to the Reaper, where he's like, you know, I really want to kick the corporation's ass. He's like, well, that's kind of the thing is, you know, that's the point of a corporation that you can't kick its ass. He's like, well, that's interesting because that brings us back to you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then he starts making all those excuses and he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, no one raindrop thinks it caused the flood. He's like, I get it now, you know? That's what I mean is like little lines they use throughout the film that comes to pay dividends later on. And like, okay, that's clever writing. It's nothing new. It's nothing we haven't seen before, but you know, it's, it's decent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyhow, long story short, if he backstabs them, he winds up attacking Samra weaving, right? Like he gets the upper hand. How does she, how does she fuck them up? Well, uh, oh, she has the hand. Yeah. Yeah. He's like extreme <laughs> measures. Cause she brings it along. Cause she's like, you know, for extreme measures or whatever. I can't remember what she said, but he's like, it's time basically. No, you're right. You're right. 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 And, uh, she does, man. She and gets all the people like, oh, are that's... sitting there at the door and they're taking bets. I like while betting and shit. Yeah. I was like, so it has the comedy aspect. Like, like you said with the loosely with office space and stuff like that, but it has comedy, you know, it's satire. Well, especially um, if you're if you're watching the extras throughout the movie in the background because everyone's going crazy. Dude, some of that shit's so fucking funny. There's some parts where you can tell they're just like they're like, just do something, man. Just do something. Be active back there. Doesn't matter what the fuck you're doing. Oh man, there's the, the chick that's that. covered with fucking post-it notes. Yeah, I read because I, you know, typically after film, I'm just kind of curious, like if there's any little trivia bits, you know, of note. And apparently, and I, I know what scene it is upon the second view, where there's a real couple in the background, like actually banging it out. Um, oh, they're actually banging it out? Office. Yeah, and I thought at the beginning of the film, during that sequence, you know, in the opening, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a couple right there. And I was like, no, no, that's not them, because there's a couple later on Yeah, when uh, Stephen Yoon is, like, sending a message, I think, to the board or whatever. And you can see in the background, I think that's when the woman with the post notes kind of runs through and whatnot. There's a lot of chaos going on in the background. But there's a couple, like, banging it out. And I think it is that couple in that particular shot. And it's like, that's kind of weird. Well, um, somebody's doing the fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Yeah. The half-baked Scarface <laughs> reference. I'm like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So some 90s references there too, man. All right. They wind up, of course, finishing the Reaper. They get his access card. They go up to the floor that has the siren because now if they get her card, it gives them further access up the ladder, right? 
so while the shit that's going on on that floor, you know, people are fighting it out and all that stuff, is they have a conversation about their top three bands. Do you remember what she answered as her top three? Uh, Motorhead, early DR, Motorhead, early Anthrax, and DRI. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> it's funny because she's like, what do you think I'm going to say, Dave Matthews Band? You know, and of course they do that. that oh whole little my bit God. There with- Her fucking laying into him is some of my favorite parts of the movie. She is so good. Some of her lines no, she, are amazing too. Like, oh, you're going to turn me on, huh? Is that before or after <laughs> we buy Birkenstocks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like all right, man. She she can uh, she can take it. She can also give it back, which is really cool. All right. Oh, I also yeah, want to point the, out that the, I think it's awesome that she's like the crazier one of the two, and is yeah, uh, other than like she, one scene, is tending to go way more crazy than he is. I, yeah, I agree. She does a good job of, of ramping it up when she has to. And she's always giggling you know, she at all the fucked up shit in the background. Yeah, she even has like that, that yas moment yeah. in the film. <laughs> oh, dude, that fucking killed me. That was great. Yeah, she's like giggling when people are like fucking each other off and stuff. Yeah, she's she does a good job, man. She, she really does. It makes you feel like, oh, this is really making her fucking go Looney Tunes. Now, I do, while, while we're talking about them going Looney Tunes, though, like, if you think about this movie, it's kind of fucked up because Derek doesn't believe that there should be a loophole because of ID7, even though he's the one that found the loophole. It's just that's what he's good at doing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He even makes his, uh, his feelings known in the beginning about that. So if it wasn't for the fact that this movie is so good at showing everyone else be way bigger assholes... Like Derek and Melanie should be the bad guys of this. Like this is yeah, all disproportionate yeah. retribution. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's and he's yeah. just choosing yeah. to take advantage of it. Which he does like he yeah. he mentions in the end. He's like, Yeah, so I've killed people. I I live with that. That's on me. Yeah, he lives with it, exactly. You know, but hey, he he found a loophole and he it worked in his favor. It just so happened to work in his favor. Right. I mean, I guess that's the ultimate thing about his character is that he's good about finding loopholes and he'll use them to his favor. But yeah, it's still kind of fucked up because he doesn't actually believe in the loophole, but he's like, I'm going to kill a bitch if I need. But that's the other thing. Anytime they actually kill somebody, they were usually attacked first. They almost always go into situations trying to like reason with the people first, even if they're using some sort of leverage over them. Let's see here. Uh, they're on the floor, right? And we, we already talked about their little conversation with the bands and accused to the nine and towers oh, putting the, Sorry. the bounty. I have one okay. other thing to go along with the band because other than her naming off those three bands and the fact that she's listening to uh, a Rivers of Nihil song way earlier in the movie, at another part, mm-hmm. she's also wearing a Black Dahlia Murder shirt. And they were probably one of the last bands I actually saw live before fucking COVID started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, that's, that's awesome. Cool. And then, you know, yeah. Joe Lynch, yeah, by yeah. the way, loves metal. So, yeah, yeah, I read about that. That's really cool. And it only makes sense, you know, with the way he's kind of ragging on uh, Joe's character and all that stuff. But I, it's good. It's fun conversations. 
you know, the bounties put on uh, Joe's head for like $450,000. Smith or Smythe is basically saying, you know, uh, why not up the ante from 150000 whatever? You know, they got the money. They can use it. Right, right, this is what I like. Oh, dude, this is, this, this sequence here I really enjoy too is where some of the office people, you know, on her floor, the Reapers, or the Sirens floor, you know, they're all decked out, whatnot, ready for battle. Is Joe gives Melanie his phone he's like uh track three right they're having their dialogue oh because the cdc psychologist is calling mark or he's calling oh Garrett. shit yeah that Garrett. was fucking funny he's trying to yeah and he's like he's basically telling the cdc guys like you know this is what's going to happen he's like you know i'm going to give you a fair warning of what's going to happen right <laughs> he's like if you don't want to battle you can leave now otherwise these are the consequences and uh the song that is on when he tells her to play the, you know, the track is a Faith No More track. So it's called Motherfucker. So <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, man. I recognize it when I heard it. And yeah, then they have that fight with the office uh, people and it's pretty decent, man. It's not bad. Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun fight. Yeah, I even like, there's like a, a little sequence they use, like this really cool little editing. I wouldn't really call it a montage, but it's like a, a little bit of a montage sequence. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty cool shot. And anyhow, long story short, is it wound up getting into the siren's office. And, you know, she's trying to try to make a deal with him. She winds up smashing his mug or his, you know, his coffee mug. And that doesn't bode well, you know. She calls in Meg because she's the one who has the key card. <laughs> and the girl, she microwaved it. And then she's explaining, she's like, well, now I lost my leverage. She's like, what the fuck is this? And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, and I love how Meg's just like, everyone upstairs knew that you'd fucking turn. Yeah, we knew Everyone knows who you are. Like, it's it's useful to have you in this position rather than higher up in the ranks. You're like the gatekeeper, whether you want to be or not. You're never moving higher exactly. up because you're too good of a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And she had to realize that. Exactly. She, yeah, exactly. Until this moment. And uh, the thing I like about this, too, is Meg, she's had it. She's like, you know, I no longer have to listen to your shrill voice. And, you know, she gives her the whole nine yards and she offs her. And that's where it's like, oh, shit, they didn't even have to do anything. They wind up sending a video of the aftermath, the towers, or like they have that little video call with him. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like saying, hey, you know, um, you know, this is uh, this is what happens. You know, I'm, I'm basically coming up to get you guys this is what we need to do but they have to do something in between and that's um you know they have to go through irene smith or snide to sign the foreclosure because there's a loophole of course in it we find out there's a fucked up sequence i talked about earlier in the warnings with the <laughs> with the uh, uh water sports so to speak oh yeah yeah and replying to the siren, it looks like there might have been. There's allusions to the fact that they might have had an affair, Towers and, her, and she. And so Towers sends a uh, like a video message to Cho, and it shows him pissing on his friend Niles' corpse, you know. And uh, it's fucked up because, you know, Cho is like, man, the, the dude has kids. That's fucked up. Uh, she's kind of consoling him, and they wind up banging. <laughs> and they so happen to be playing uh, Dave Matthews band during that sequence. Uh, marching ants. They do. Yeah. Our ants marching. Yeah, that's it. Uh, 
<laughs> I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Well, it's funny. She's like, how are you feeling? He's like, it turns everything up to 11. Bang. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know what you mean. <laughs> and soon after that, right, once they, you know, sort themselves out. Dude, the fucking they go, the IT, right? The, the IT guy. Hacking. Do you know who that is? Who was that? That is the director. That's Joe Lynch. Oh, no shit. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. You know, he's all like raging out because he can't find shit and uh, anyhow, what he does, yeah, he's in Irene Smith. He gives her a phone call, and he's like, look, uh, her her computer's locking up on her. He's like, look, I just sent you a patch. They're both being condescending to each other, you know? And Could have he's named like, it Mega Trojan Hard Drive Raper. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. His lines are funny, man. It's really good. I like it. And so what, he, what he's doing is he's sending her a virus, right? And they're going to clone her hard drive and put it on a backup. They use that as leverage. And they just fucking fry and, her machine to shit. Oh, yeah. They fuck her up good. And, you know, she calls in response. And then Derek has the conversation. And he's like, you know, uh, this is what we want. We'll give this back to you in exchange for your uh, for your card, you know. She's like, all right. Uh, so she thinks she's clever because she's like, ah, they even let me set up the meeting place, right? And the bull is showing towers, his empty holster. And he's like, where the fuck's your gun? You know, it looks like they're trying to set up Cho and Melanie. And when she goes downstairs to meet them, they're in that little office and whatnot. And they're exchanging their truce agreements. And she reaches for the gun. He's like, oh, you know, don't fuck with people who make less than you, you know, because they tend to be usually smarter or more clever, you know. So everything seems to be going hunky-dory. And that's when the bull comes out of hiding and he starts attacking Derek. And then Melanie and Smith go at it and dude, make a long story short. Fuck some shit up for being an old lady. Dude, uh, that they had a good pretty fight. Good, man. Yeah. Interestingly enough, right? Duke it out really good. The Bull and Cho, they had a pretty interesting one. And I like it too because yeah, <laughs> what Stephen Yoon does is he starts to cower and he lets out that little moan. He's like, yeah, when it looks like he's going to get shot. And the guy's just like popping off the rounds. He's like, you know, guns are cowards. And he's like, oh, fuck. And he's putting on the brass knuckles, the oh. dusters, man. <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, man, I wish you would have shot me. <laughs> right? Like, this is going to suck. Yeah, man. And the bull gets the upper hand, right? He's fucking him up pretty good. And he gets the mace on. He's basically saying, like, you know, I'm going to burn your fucking eyes out. And when he goes to spray him, <laughs> Stephen Yoon, he winds up catching all that shit in his mouth and spits it back into the face. So he's pulling like a, almost like a WWF, WWE move on him, right? Right. <laughs> spits it back in his face, and then he stabs him. I don't know if it was like an ice pick, or might have been a screwdriver or something. I was like, a little tool holster there. Kills him, he gets the upper hand. There seems to be a betrayal in this next sequence, right? Because there's a countdown, and he's like, look. I feel you know, like... Find the papers. I feel like that was the one thing that was that the betrayal wasn't sold that well, but it did set up like I had that minute of like, but how the, like, it looks like he betrayed her. How the fuck are they getting out of this? Like, I was more curious. I'm like, I don't think he actually sold her out. Like, yeah. And, and they pull like some, uh, oceans 11 shit on us. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's still pretty good. Hey, you know what, it, what he's doing is he's like, all right, in exchange for the key card, I want to give you Melanie. Right. And she's like, okay, deal. And you right. They fuck Melanie up. Yeah, like real bad. And, you know, 
rightfully so, Sam's character, she's like, you know, you fucking suit, you, you, you're just like one of them, you know, she's going through the whole spiel. He goes over and it looks like he's planting a kiss, you know, goes into the elevator. He starts to go up, but before he does, right. It, it goes to that sequence where you see where he unbolted some of the, uh, I guess the nuts and bolts or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> got some bolts. And you're like, Oh, he got her ass good. Right. Because once the elevator doors close, Sam comes out of the chair, right. Fucks up Smythe. There goes up there and, he goes through like the fight club sequence, right? He starts to beat himself like old Tyler Durden style, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He's kind of like building himself up, you know? Oh, yeah. That That's was like, good. Right. Yeah, I yeah, like I that footage that of him in the elevator. That was another really just well shot, I felt like. Yeah, uh, I just, some, it's, yeah. It's, I think it's, they use that good, in the trailer man. too. Like, good to them, man. If they did, it's, uh, it's probably one of the better sequences if you're going to use that, you know, in a trailer. So when he comes out, right, he's ready to fuck shit up. But when he gets into the office, everybody's like applauding and clapping and stuff. And you're like, okay, what's the fuck? What's going on? And he's like, all right, this is my surrender. This is my terms of agreement. He's like, I want to make you a partner, right? This is our truce. And, you know, he's got the chicks going over and they're like reeling off all the benefits he's going to get. I'll help. Yeah. (laughs) I'll help. He's like, nah. No, <laughs> Saturdays are for the bros. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he turns it down because he sees the foreclosure, right? Yeah. And he's like, no. He turns it down. One of the chicks, like, breaks the glass and stabs the other one because he dodges. Nice little moment of gore there. And they're like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's settle this a different way, right? And the two guys go mono and mono. It starts off when Cho has, like, his monkey wrench or whatever he has. <laughs> and then... uh it oh, wasn't. He would have been better off with a monkey wrench. I think he had something even punier. It's just like a like a, maybe a pipe wrench of just something simple, right? Yeah. Towers has his driver, right? Uh, and he, he tells him he's like, "Mine's bigger. Mine's always bigger." Did you <laughs> did you notice that that poor Towers Stephen Brand? And I'm this isn't even a ding to the movie. I didn't notice it till the second time through, but he was not good at keeping his accent whenever he would yell. You know, that's a good point. I did hear him slip a little bit. His Scottish slip, in, especially do, that, uh, the earlier one when he's screaming about half a million dollars. Half a mi- yeah. 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 You can hear it slip a little bit. I think, uh, because Sam is a lot, I think better at disguising. I think Australians in general have a better time of it, it kind of hiding the American accent, but you can hear it just a little bit in her, but not as, you know, mm-hmm. as distinctly as, uh, this actor. And that's no discredit to him. He still does a good job. But you, you can definitely tell. You know, he's <laughs> he's foreign. Well, uh, and that's why he was a good Alexander Anderson. I think that's a great point, man. Solid point there. He does a great job. Surprisingly, too, man. I, I never thought we'd be talking about <laughs> Alexander in this film. But cool enough for me, man. All right. What's happening here in this exchange, right, is they start going at it. Like I said, it looks like Towers gets the upper hand. He's starting to, like, try to choke out Cho with his driver and Cho's like he ain't having that shit right he kind of body presses him off of him I think he gets the knuckle duster and he uses uh, his broken mug handle as a knuckle oh, duster oh yeah that's a good point yeah 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 you're right because he, he was like kind of stroking it earlier too because he was contemplating like the whole thing with being in the office and what his sister told him and all this other stuff so you know he's kind of gleaning some things from his experience here at the office but yeah, he fucks him up pretty good. And 
another kind of thing that they talked about earlier was the whole Romans, you know, execution in the, in the Colosseum, you know, the thumbs up, thumbs down. He's like, it's been misinterpreted. It's actually like the throat slit, you know, of approval. Yeah. 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 And it's like, okay, because that's what the eight (laughs) at this point do. Right. Because it gets to the point where Cho has towers right over uh, the balcony or like the, the railing. Right. And he's telling them, you know, he's like, you know, you'll never have anything that I have, you know, this slice of pie, you'll always struggle, what, what have you, right? And he's, he's like enticing them. He's like, you don't have the ball to do it. Which, that was, the, that was the part that I thought was kind of funny. He's like, you don't have the balls to do that when we've watched Cho fucking way murder some people on his way up here. Like, dude, he, he literally worked his way from the bottom floor all the way up to the top. He's like, he he's has the right balls for this. Like, that, that, that alone right there should tell you, like, you know, you might want to temper that a little bit. You saw that fucking video of the fucking Reaper draped over a cage with his guts hanging down into it and then being lit on fire. Don't tell us you didn't yeah, see that. Right. Like, come on, dude. You know he's he's bowdy bowdy. <laughs> <laughs> and the eight, they give the uh, you know, the sideways little splash there and Derek punches towers over the rail. And as he's doing that, there's even been little moments, little flashes of him painting throughout as well. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of another little motif in this film. And he's painting some of the scenes of the tale he's been tailing throughout. And once they kind of pull out of that a little bit more, and you get a little bit more of that glimpse is it's kind of like the aftermath. We're kind of seeing it in little small glimpses because what happens is when he goes back into the office, the eight, they start negotiating with him. They offer him John Towers' position as CEO. Right. They already have Which the paperwork there because they were offering him partnership. Right. And so, you know, he does the crossing out. He makes the decision to sign the contract. He starts kind of, you know, mulling things over and he's giving you us a little expo of, of what's happening and his thoughts and whatnot. And what he does is his first executive order, his decision is to sign the foreclosure, which nullifies it. Right. And then he quits. And I was like, all right, that's pretty cool because, you know, afterwards is, you see him and her and like some kind of little art studio, you know, painting. And at least he is some of the sequences that have been going on throughout the film, you know, and he's kind of taken a different approach in life. And I think that's kind of like the, the last little bit. It's more of a positive thing, you know, like telling you if you want to achieve certain things, you know, you have to kind of go for it or whatever. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom and, you know, what have you. But I thought it was fun, man. I thought it was a pretty fun film. I thought it was a really fun film. I feel like also him quitting technically as CEO probably entitled him to some nice payout on the way out. Oh, I can imagine. So like his severance pay drastically changed. <laughs> I can imagine. Also, so, yeah, I, nice I noticed when Towers was falling, I don't think it was him. It was definitely ADR. I don't think it was him, though. I feel like they used a stock scream, but I couldn't. Hmm. I listened to it about five times. It is almost a Wilhelm scream, but it it sounds just a little bit different. I don't think it's a Wilhelm, but it sounded stock as fuck, and I was trying to figure out what it is. But I I know exactly what you're talking about when he's going over and falling, and you hear the scream. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, maybe not to that extent, but yeah, it it does sound maybe not so much the actor (laughs) playing that character. Who knows, though? The one other funny thing that I I noticed in the credits and 
I mean, we list off production companies and this and that sometimes. And some of them you'll be like, you know, if you actually look up that production company, they only worked on that one movie. And it's usually because getting the legal protections of a company in front of you if you have wealthy independent financiers and stuff like that. So sometimes you can see some of the names and it's kind of related to the movie and you're like, okay, I, I understand what's going on. I noticed with Lynch and the people involved and how this movie is kind of a mashup of a lot of different references, it's copyright Rage LLC. Yeah, I saw that at the end credits. I was kind of curious if there was any, you know, like stuff at the end of the credits. Sometimes you get that little stuff. And I started noticing some of the things. And yeah, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. You know what that's about. Give us a Mayhem 2 where it's now those two living a happy life and somehow like a, a more virulent strain of ID seven gets out and they're basically just doing 28 days later, but fuck it. I won't yeah. I mean, I've seen some, seen some interesting ideas about the fact that Steven Yoon, you know, he's in the walking dead and this happens to be another kind of like virus outbreak and all this other stuff and how closely related to some of it, it is the 28 days later and some of the other films we had mentioned it seem like crossovers, you know, just happening at different times. <laughs> I'd be kind of interesting, but, who knows? I mean, it's all hypothetical at this point anyway. I highly recommend this movie. I think that's what kind of my bottom line with it. After after watching it, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, like I said, I was almost pleasantly surprised. I had a really good time with it. I know I heard some good things about it. You know, and that's, you have to take all that stuff with a grain of salt. But knowing some of the people that were in the film, I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a chance, see how it flows. I know we've already talked about the fact that you can't help sometimes to compare it to Velcro experiment and we've already shared our feelings on it, but I think it's different enough from that film from Belco to where, you know, you can compare them, but I don't know how earnestly you can compare them. If that makes sense. Other than this is better. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that it's taking place in the office and stuff like that, but the difference there is this virus has, I guess like a different premise and it affects people differently. And, you know, whereas in, in Belco, it's like, it's literally like a, a game of life and death. <laughs> you know, uh, you have no choice in the, the matter. Either you, you do these things or you die. That's true. Shit, yeah. I don't know if I have really much else to say about this, though, even though I really liked it. No, um, last little bit, because I, I want to backtrack to the thanks. I saw Bobcat Goldwake name in the thank you, and I'm like, I wonder how he's connected. You know, yeah. I don't know. I, I'll find that out. I thought it was interesting. And then there I saw a- uh, Joe Baker. I was going to say, there was a couple names I recognized from different places. I actually looked up a couple of the people. The last two are like the CEO and the president of Metal Blade Records. Oh, that's pretty cool. Who actually, I think, put out a Black Dahlia album. Anyway, Metal Blade also famously, I think, put out the first commercial product that happened to have a Metallica song. Back in their, their Metal Massacre compilations way back in the day. But there was a couple others that had all worked on movies with some of the different people in the past, like Pod and shit like that. So yeah, dude. a couple different writers and, and stuff. What was the one that you were going to bring up other than Bobcat? Oh, yeah. The one that I was going to bring up, the gentleman's name is Joe Bagos. And he's a director of VFW. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the film Bliss, which is also another shout out to Shudder, because this mayhem was a Shudder exclusive film. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Bliss is as well. So that's kind of a cool connection there. Some of those guys worked on, I mentioned earlier that Unearthed Films just kind of got their hands on the uh, distribution rights to the film Gutterballs, 
which was directed by Ryan Nicholson. And I'd already mentioned earlier that the music composer, Steve Moore, worked on a couple of those films as far as like composing the music and whatnot for that. So uh, it's kind of cool seeing that these guys have these really cool connections, you know, within this, like a little bit of an indie horror scene, you know? So yeah, it was kind of neat just staying through the credits for that kind of stuff. I'll be staying home from work tomorrow, so I might end up watching Ready or Not tomorrow just because of how good Samara Weaving was in this. Yeah, and if you like that too, I mean, at some point, you know, of course you don't have to do it now, but The Babysitter is actually really fun too, man. I think you'd probably like her in that role as well. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, only other thing of note is, did you see where this film was made? Or where it was filmed at? Oh, shit. Um, Serbia? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's kind of cool, though, because... Did you notice uh, by looking at all the names in the credits? Well, that definitely helped. Uh, <laughs> you know, but when you saw the reason why, it's because of the locations. They only let them, you know, allow for a certain amount of days to shoot in, and they needed a lot more. It looks like Pittsburgh wanted, or gave them only 15. New Orleans gave them 17. Vancouver gave them 18. But because they had filmed previously in Serbia for the film Everly, I guess that helped them a lot more, you know, in terms of negotiating power and whatnot. So, oh, yeah, yeah it was, and, what, like a 25-day shoot or something like that? Yeah, and I read this correctly. The actual tower was only three floors. Oh, okay. Instead of, like, you know, several floors, the way they made this film out. But I thought it was kind of neat, though. You know, you wouldn't have known any different no. unless you read all this kind of nerdy stuff. But, yeah, um, like I said, once again, fun film, uh, pretty good score, uh, the leads did a really good job. Some of the extra, I want the extra, some of the, uh, dude, the character extras actors, were funny as shit. Yeah. There was some really fucking silly shit going on. I was like, this has probably been a really fun film to be in on as far as the set. And just, uh, I even noticed there's a scene where Tamara weaving, I think she's doing it out of character where she, you can tell she's kind of like starting to giggle and she's kind of like looking at her fingers or like messing with her fingers a little bit mm -hmm. because of one of the lines that are said, I believe it's said by Stephen Yoon. I should have wrote down what he said, but he says something funny and I think she breaks character just a little bit in that sequence, and it, but she happens to but be in the works. background. So it's not, a, yeah, it's not a distraction. So it even works on her out of character, <laughs> you know? So I, what I'm getting at is it was probably a lot of fun to work on set with these guys and it shows like the film is fun. The way some of those scenes, like the fights and even just some of uh, Stephen Yeun's like dialogue and the way it's edited when he's getting into the emotional aspect also makes me understand why it was such a long shoot. You would have had to do some of that shit over and over again to get all those shots to edit it together the way they oh, did. Oh man, that's a very good point. Yeah. Cause there are some, not that they're technical, you know, to, to an extent, but yeah, I would imagine it's a lengthy process to get certain shots the way they wanted it. So, I mean, honestly, a couple of those like 20 second fights probably took all day to shoot. I understood too that most, if not, I won't say not all, but most of the people in the film actually perform their own stunts, which is, you know, kudos to them as well. Oh, fuck yeah, that's dope. Yeah, so, yeah, I like to once again highly recommend it for those who enjoy action horror. I agree. And you know what's weird with next week? Oh, yeah, I remember because I started thinking, I was like, well, I wonder, maybe I need to get the ball rolling on what we should be thinking about next week. It's like, oh, yeah, we already did that last week. Surprisingly, <laughs> and oh man, I don't know if excited is the right word, but I am happy in a sense that we get to talk about two films. It's been a long time since we've reason. done a doubleheader. Yeah, and I think we, yeah, it has we stopped 
other than the inside martyrs where we did a, a double header just to get them the fuck out of the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. We kind of stopped doing double headers just because it was hard to really give each film their due. I don't think we're going to have as much of a problem this time because this duo mm -hmm. has so much in common. <laughs> we're going to be doing Dominion prequel to the Exorcist and Exorcist the beginning. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be fun, man. And it's something you and I've talked about, I think a little bit on air and a little bit or mostly off air. And for me, it's, it's trying to remember which one I actually watched. And then when you're explaining that they have so many things in, in common, I'm like, oh, shit, now it's going to be really confusing. But now, because we're choosing these, I can uh, differentiate them now. I think this is going to be a lot of fun because I don't remember either of them being super spectacular. But one of them for uh -huh. sure is pretty bad. <laughs> Which one of these two is not like the other? <laughs> so that's going to be next week because, God damn it, sometimes we can actually plan things. And, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be fun then. It's a good one because we did have this in advance. So, you know, we at least know what to expect. So with that in mind, in order to listen to it next week, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. If you're able to rate and review us, that would mean the fucking world to us because everything is ran on algorithms these days and that just really helps us, you know, get in there more. And we love getting in there. Yeah, please we do. <laughs> please also go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There you can check out our entire back catalog. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us squirmcast at gmail.com. While you're at the website, please click the links up at the top. We are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can go check out all the other shows over on the network. Listen to me talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to my co-host from there talk about war treatises mixed with war gaming, like Warhammer and Belagarth, all sorts of shit over on the Art of War Gaming. More shit to come. I mean, we're figuring this COVID shit out, so more shit to come. Also search for us, Fried Squirms, across all the social medias. We've been trying to use it more. I fucking put shit up this week. I might put more shit up tomorrow. I don't know oh, yet. Yeah, man. I'm getting with the times-ish. Like, not <laughs> really, but getting there. God, am I missing anything? No, I think that's pretty much that. I mean, we, we, you know, we say recommendations, suggestions, and if you're in the indie scene and have a film that needs some eyeballs, let us know because we love to rake our eyeballs all over films. That's right. But I guess for this week, and this little bit of mayhem, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms. Oh. Hells yeah. <laughs>